Peace and love. Peace and love. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You know what I am? I'm a housewife that figured it out. Wow, 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 And now, here's the host of Good Things Radio, Brooke Taylor. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Good Things Radio. My name is Brooke Taylor, a housewife who has not figured it out. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show. This is episode number 143. Oh, America, Ray Charles right there. This is my Ray Charles season. I play that song and a few other cherry-picked patriotic selections all summer. So I love it with the window open. The song is in the kitchen. I'm doing dishes. I'm cutting watermelon. The grill is on. The kids are arguing about who got who wet with the super soaker. And we take that all the way through July 4th and to Labor Day. Just being able to kind of wrap ourselves in the season and remembering the true spirit of what the day is about. So we're going to talk about that. I know Memorial Day has officially come and gone, but still some things to share. And really, remembering and honoring is like saying I love you. You just can't do it enough, and you can't wear it out. So we are going to hear from Father Nathan Cromley. He's got some really beautiful words about Memorial Day, specifically visiting cemeteries. Do you do it? Do you feel weird about it? Should we? Really beautiful words of wisdom, as always, from Father Nathan. A really full show today, too. But first, before anything else, I just wanted to stop and offer a from the bottom of my heart, true thank you for everything in the last show. It was a really, really tough episode for me to get through the last program. And to be honest with you, I actually second-guessed once I had published that show and wondering if I should pull it down because... I thought maybe the dust should settle a little bit, filter my thoughts and form my words a little bit more carefully. And if you didn't hear that episode, if you're just coming in, it was just opening up about my loss, the very fresh, raw emotions of our little girl losing our daughter at almost 12 weeks and some of the processing that really even at the time I'm I'm still doing, still was doing during the last show. And, and I was worried that what I might say could be misunderstood. I didn't want it to come off as my child, even in the midst of the most uncertain circumstance, as if I would not have fought for my child or embraced whatever was to come. And so I want to make that clear. But man, your feedback, your stories, just to take time personally to reach out means a lot. I really am rarely at a loss for words. And I, I feel that way now because I went on my first run in a really long time last week. And I was thinking about that. I was just thinking about individual messages that I had received and prayer requests and some of your Voxers that had come through in the audio feedback. And I just everything just came out. My tears, my snot, my sweat, which is TMI, I know. But I mean, on a side note, that's why I like running. My mind was able to really attach to your messages, your condolences, your words of understanding, your prayers, the stories you shared with me about losses. Losses generations ago, I've heard a couple of stories that have really resonated deeply. Uh, One of them actually 
from my producer. And I hope that in the next episode, we can unpack some of those stories in particular. But sharing about a time where he lost an infant sibling, a three-week-old brother, and it was never talked about. It was never really grieved over or brought out into the open. And so I just think these experiences glue us together as a human family. And that really reassured my heart in the midst of my clumsiness. Oh, no, did I say the wrong thing? And this really jumbled mind, was I able to articulate my broken heart and how much I love my child, how devastating this was, and that our faith isn't about emotion. I think that's one of the lessons that I've really gone back to is even if I'm not feeling, I I have not, I didn't want to go to church this weekend. I was angry. I was really angry. And there's a lot of hormones going up and down and kind of surging and coming out of the corner unexpectedly. And so I'm dealing with a lot of that. And then going back to, it doesn't matter how I feel. If I feel God's presence or God's love, if I feel mad, I have to love him and embrace what I know. And he's been with me long enough in all the days of my life that I know he's with me now. He's never abandoned me. But in the midst of this time, you've been such a beautiful voice of consolation and prayer and honesty. So I just wanted to thank you for that. I want to get into that on the next episode. My plan was to really focus this particular show on unpacking all that you shared with me based on what I opened up with about our loss, our miscarriage in the last show and the preceding steps that are yet still to be determined. But we're going to get to that actually on the next show because I'm still processing everything. I'm in a really weird place, so I'm being honest with you about that too. And I need to gather myself a little bit and absorb, I guess, everything that's been happening. So that's my plan. I'm working on it. And I just want you to know that every word you shared has been read and appreciated. And even if it was a quick prayer as you listened, I am so grateful for that and for you. So we will get to that on the next show. This show, we've got some really diverse things coming up, starting with a favorite thing. St. Therese with her roses, God's words when it's written, bright kids in church shirts and sunny beach sitting. Big runs on pavement and stretching out hamstrings. These are a few of my favorite things. So it would figure just when we announce the summer schedule that things pick up and I feel like I have so much to share with you, different books and makeup products and things that I've been finding. I'm just going to share this one book, though, because literally before I came down to record, I was reading this with my son and thought, man, this again is such a good book. And if I haven't told you about it already, it's a really short one. It's called Lessons from a Sheepdog. This is on my new favorite things list, A True Story of Transforming Love, and it's by Philip Keller. So Philip Keller is the author of A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. A friend of mine knew how much I love that book, and a few years ago she bought me this one. And here's the thing. This book is so short that it could almost be a pamphlet, so anybody could read it, but it doesn't waste any words. It's so power-packed, and it's a true story. The premise is that Keller is a rancher, and how he took a dog that was incredibly angry and gaunt and untrainable or so that was the idea. And he turned this dog into the most obedient, incredibly loving sheepdog that he had ever seen in his life. And so through that experience, 
learning lessons for us as we obey God and find transformation into something amazing. And what he does with us when we obey him as our master and the good master, the good shepherd that he is. And I read this a couple of years ago as a read aloud with my kids. Loved it then because it's about a dog. I mean, who doesn't? The name is Lass. So who doesn't love that? From the beginning, he's such a great writer because he really takes you into his role as a rancher, as a shepherd. And it's not in our little suburban neighborhood something that they experience a whole lot. And so I love the, the nature aspect of it in understanding Jesus Christ as our good shepherd and what that really means, the rod and the staff and how he keeps the wolves away and how susceptible we are to parasites and to danger and to our own ignorance sometimes. And so he's really good with painting a picture of love and sympathy and what happens in the hands of a good master versus a bad master and what happens when we are prodigals. And so I'm reading it again to one son in particular who remembered it a few years ago. And so it's really nice. And I just wanted to share if you are looking for a good quick summer read, if you have an animal lover in your house that's not necessarily a big reader, I think this is just a crowd pleaser. It's called Lessons from a Sheepdog, a true story of transforming love. And it's by Philip Keller. So there you go. up on the show today, a special interview with someone you don't want to miss, a decorated Vietnam War veteran, former Green Beret, a writer. And with Memorial Day so fresh in our minds, I wanted to take a moment and just share that special sit down that I had with this real life hero. And I know, because I'll probably get some emails, I know the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day, that they're not the same. But I do think that we should acknowledge and remember the sacrifices of the living as well. So I'll bring his story to you. We've got a Padre in your pocket. And that's where I kind of wanted to start with because that was our day. This Father Nathan segment deals with the cemetery. And how do you feel about going and visiting a grave? For some people, it brings great comfort. For others, even believers, a good friend of mine, a coworker on the radio station who was also a pastor after his dad died, said, I'm not going to be frequenting that cemetery. His soul is not there. There isn't a reason why I would need to go. And so for a priest perspective, what is the benefit of going to a cemetery? He's going to share that a little bit later. And that was for us, for me, our experience this Memorial Day. I had a chance to go to the National Cemetery where my dad is buried. That's something that we've done every year for the last six Memorial Days since he's passed. This year was actually the busiest that I've seen the cemetery. And I'm thinking about the movie Coco. I did not like that movie at all. I had major problems with it. And that's a different show altogether. But I do find comfort in places like cemeteries and seeing how busy it was. And it's always like a visceral experience going into a national cemetery, particularly this one where my dad is buried. But I wanted to do some research about this because as the years go by and every time we go, there's new acres of headstones that are added. My dad died on June 29th. So sometimes we go twice the summer, but normally not in the winter. And so you see a big change then the next time you go. And I learned after I saw it was so busy today and so many headstones again had been added that there are over 1 million veterans living in the state of Ohio, which is amazing. Over a half a million buried in that cemetery. And, you know, going just again, that visceral experience, I guess to describe it, it would be a mixture of sobering and sad yet mixed with like a great patriotic 
automatic feeling of pride to go there because you see every social class, you see every color and religion in young men. I saw a guy that was older and he had like a reggae shirt on and was visiting a headstone. I saw families dressed up, families in tank tops and t-shirts, people with beer bottles, people with flowers. And every headstone, of course, has a story. You also, uh, I remember picking out the headstone with my mom. You're issued, you know, the VA standard size, but then you can have the religious emblem of your choice, whether it is Methodist or the Celtic cross or a chalice, even universalist, or I saw a dream catcher on some. So it's always interesting because you know buried there are real fathers, sons, daughters, sisters, everything, grandfathers, the women, and people have different thoughts about going to the cemetery. And so I actually brought this up because seeing how busy the cemetery was, knowing for us, we also go in the month of November. That's the month of all souls. And so it is a time where we venerate the holy dead. And maybe you don't know, there are some spiritual benefits of doing that. And so Father Nathan is going to explain that and something to think about. Where is your heart on this? As per usual, Father Nathan has some wonderful words of wisdom. Check it out. Here's a Padre in your pocket. Padre. Hi, everybody. This is Father Nathan with another Padre in Your Pocket. What do Catholics do about visiting cemeteries? Now, I know not everybody's Catholic, and that's fine. But what is, what is a Catholic tradition about visiting cemeteries? And even as Catholics, who, we, you know, we believe that we need to pray for the dead. This is coming, of course, from 2 Maccabees 7, where it says it is a good and pious thing to pray for the dead. So we, we say, okay, we do that, but like, isn't it weird? I mean, they're not there anymore. Why should we go where their bodies are uh, when their body, it, their souls aren't with God? And uh, here's the, the, the long and the short of it. It does make sense. Yes, we know that their souls are with God, but visiting the body in the sense of having it in the cemetery, visiting the cemetery is very helpful for us. There are many people who die at sea or they die in places where the bodies aren't recoverable. And this is there. It's not, it's not as if there's some sort of like um, problem with, with uh, you know, their eternal rest. They're still with God, et cetera. But being able to pray in front of a person's body or remains, so to speak, enables us to stay connected with them in a way that's, that's very life-giving and very powerful for us. We should not neglect that, that honest-to-goodness humanity of honoring the person's body. This is what Jesus says when he says that burying the dead is actually one of the seven corporal acts of mercy. So with Memorial Day coming up, it's very helpful to uh, remember that the value of visiting the tombs of the fallen soldiers and of decorating them. After all that they've done for our country— if we have relatives that have fought, it's a way of showing due honor to our relatives or friends or soldiers who have fallen to honor the place of their mortal remains. In addition, as Catholics, we go to the cemeteries in order to pray for the dead. Is it necessary to, to go to the cemetery? No, but it is a very laudable thing because it's a way of us to show honor. 
we honor by the, an act of the heart that's expressed through the body. That's what honor is. If I just do an act of the heart, it's called love. But if I show that love through my body, it becomes honor. So when I get into a car and I go to a cemetery and I stand and hold my hat in my hand and bow my head and say a Hail Mary or a De Profundis or a prayer for the repose of the souls, I mean, what am I doing? I'm showing in front of the whole world honor. I'm showing love through my body, which is a definition of honoring that person. And at the same time, of course, I am making suffrage for them and for their eternal rest. So that's what, why we go to the cemeteries. It's a very laudable thing. It's a custom that's found not just in Christianity, but in other religions as well. But really should be a very Christian thing to do, especially because of the role of the body and the importance of the body. This is why for Catholics, and I like to underscore this, you may not be cremated and have your ashes spread somewhere. So if you have those plans, you've heard it now, you may not follow through on them. You may have uh, you may be cremated, but you must bury the ashes in one place. Why? Because your body is very important and very sacred, and it's united to your soul. And so your body and your soul, even when they're separated, your body still remains sacred unto the Lord. Okay, so therefore, let me give me some more questions if you got them, and know that I'm praying for you, and happy Memorial Day to you all. Thank you, thank you so much, Father Nathan Cromley. And as promised, I want to bring you a special story from former Green Beret Army veteran, Vietnam veteran Fred Hobbs. And these stories are important because it's living history. And our future veterans may be your children, maybe the classmates that will shape foreign policy, continue defending our freedom. And I think that what we're seeing in the priesthood, just like in our military, is fewer men and women. Well, I mean, I'm saying women for the military, but willing to say yes to the duty and honor that comes with this sacrificial yes of serving in the priesthood, in the military, laying down their life in a selfless way for the benefit of others. And so I do think stories like Mr. Hobbs are vitally important. If you were to know Mr. Hobbs and the sacrificial way that he continues to give and to give to the VA and to the Native Americans and the people that he comes in contact with and the inner city kids, and yet you would never be able to find him if I told you where he lives. He's in the middle of nowhere and not on social media and not at all in the spotlight. But his story, and I think so many of these veterans that kind of have the greatest generation bloodline flowing through them are that way. And so what an awesome opportunity it is to be able to sit one-on-one in a room. You're going to hear because he has a small home. So I was sitting next to him on a couch. There's a dog that you might be able to hear <laughs> like this in the background. <laughs> and our family went and we visited and it was such a wonderful opportunity and he allowed me he he allowed me the time to sit with him and interview him and so I'm really excited to bring that to you now even though Memorial Day has passed I think you're going to be really blessed by his story take a listen it's Brooke Taylor here with a special interview with former Green Beret and Vietnam veteran Fred Hobbs and Fred thank you so much for joining me on the program oh thank you for being here so you are a veteran. You're a veteran yes. of the Vietnam War. You're an Army Green Beret veteran yes. and also a writer. I know there's so much to you, but you have a book actually that's in the Library of Congress, yes. I understand? Yes, uh-huh. uh huh. I wrote it several years ago, and 
it was kind of a selection of poems and short stories about uh, my feelings and how I dealt with things over the years. Also interwoven is your identity now as kind of an adopted son of the Native American Lakota tribe, is that right? Yes, uh -huh. it kind of gave me uh, a focus uh, with a people that are very spiritual and uh, uh, they believe in Christianity and they follow Christian ways and uh, that kind of worked in the way uh, I've always lived my life as a Christian. I want to get to that. I want to talk about that. But first I want to back up and go to the era of you as a young man and joining the Army. And we talked a little bit before the interview about your experience as a paratrooper. You were also mm -hmm. a rigger. Then you became a Green Beret because, as you mentioned, you had this mentality of a warrior. And you've also paid the price for that. We talked a lot. We're hearing a lot, which I think is a blessing of awareness of PTSD, something that you've lived with and carried for a long time. But take us back to those early years. What would you like people to know in this era who maybe, we, we just had this fantastic Ken Burns documentary about the Vietnam War, and I know that brought forward a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. It, it brought up a lot of things that we haven't talked about in a long time. One thing that was uh, really devastating to us as soldiers is we grew up seeing the World War One and World War Two and Korean vets coming home and having parades and being uh, honored by the people back home. And we never got that as uh, Vietnam vets. In fact, I had to come home in civilian clothes because the soldiers were being treated so poorly. We wanted so much to be proud of doing what we had to to serve our country. And we were over there to keep our country free and to uh, make sure our people didn't see atrocities and things. But we couldn't, they wouldn't honor us because of it, uh, because of what we did, or actually because of what they were being told. So many stories were distorted and, and uh, blown out of proportion. And I, I think we look back and we see what a powder keg that was in mm -hmm. our country. There were riots on the streets. Of course, mm -hmm. we had Kent University. There was just so much volatility. Mm -hmm. But you think absolutely a false narrative played into that that helped amplify the unrest Rest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember one of the stories that was being told uh, of about how Vietnam vets were baby killers and things of this nature. What wasn't being, of course, it's difficult to tell the whole story, but I believe that people need to know the truth. When you have a culture where their main source of food is, uh, is a pig and they would go to war among themselves over a pig and they saw children as something that they could they could have more of and so in a lot of cases they valued a pig more than they did an infant some of the soldiers the vietnamese soldiers would uh, give the women drugs and they would plant explosives underneath the the carriages in in the baby carriages and have the women walk right in among uh, american gi's and so you knew you were aware of these kind of things taking place. And so do you take the chance? It's not like we would go out and shoot, but if you see one running at you or something like this out of the ordinary, what do you do? Stand there and wait until you and your buddies are all blown up or, you know, try and defend yourself, you know? And of course you give them every chance to stop and 
and to turn back. So, but that's where that came from. Yes, yeah. So you serving alongside heroes that you know should be recognized for their bravery and their valor, it's got to be difficult even now. I know especially now it's emotional to think these men never were recognized for the heroism that they portrayed and that you served alongside. Um, how can we remedy that and change that? I don't expect people that have never served to really understand because you'd have to have been there to understand. And I, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. Uh, of course, in my generation, we were drafted. I volunteered for service, uh, but many were drafted and they didn't have a choice. But they were proud to go serve their country and protect what they believed in. And part of what we believe in is our faith. That's what it's all about. And it was really contradictory because we were raised up to believe that you don't kill anyone and, and all these things. And yet that's exactly what we were being asked to do. And so you had to shut one part of you off that you had been all your life and be another person. And then when you come back to the United States, then you had to go back to being who you were. And it's, you just don't turn all that off. You have to reconcile it with yourself. You know, how? why is it that I come back and my brothers didn't? How can I come back to a world and act like everything is okay after I've done the things that I did that are against everything that I believe in? You know, and so you carry that with you the rest of your life. When you went in, were you a Christian, and how does your faith journey play into this time of your life? I was raised in a Christian home. I always went to, to church uh, uh, every time the doors were open, and uh, my mother and father always preached uh, the Word to us, and I read the Bible and went to Sunday school and things. If it wasn't for God, because of my father being so abusive and everything, God was the only person I could turn to he, he was always there. Uh, no matter what, I knew that he did things for a purpose and for a reason. Well, they, they say there there are no atheists in foxholes, so you really did. That was a literal application of that phrase. Did you feel close to him even in the midst of battle? Yes, absolutely. I, it was the only thing that I did hold dear to my heart. I, I got shot once in the hand when we were out on maneuvers and I carried my hand because it was a week before we saw got back to a hospital and I carried my hand under my armpit to keep it from throbbing so bad and I just knew that I was going to be okay you know because you worry about gangrene setting in and what have you but I, I knew I was going to be okay because even though I had lost five of my brothers that were closest to family that I'd ever had in my life. I knew that I was going to get back so I could tell their story. That was hard for me to reconcile for years that why did I get back and they didn't. And I, then I, I realized it was because somebody needed to tell their story. And you've told their story, I would assume, in your writings. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And thinking almost post-11, 9-11, the awareness of PTSD and I think the difficulty of men who can sometimes, they don't want to maybe go and recognize and work through counseling or some of the things that they're carrying, but yet we know through study and psychology that it's a heavy burden to carry, it's a heavy cross. Before that, in your time, now post 9-11, it's talked about that phrase, PTSD, a lot. Mm -hmm. Before that, there were other terms for it, shell-shocked or other things mm -hmm. that people would say. 
it sounds like the Lord led you a little bit to writing as a therapeutic way, even if it wasn't a formal diagnosis or an official counseling session where in your writing you were able to go through these emotions and work out the really, really tough stuff. Is that fair to say? Yes. It was years, probably 25 years after I had come home that I decided to start writing and to put put my feelings down on paper. Some things I put together in a book and was published. Other things just by writing them down and then afterwards destroying them. I was kind of dealing with them and putting them away for good. Even though those memories and everything are there, I'm reminded of God never gives you anything that you can't hold up under. He made me, gave me the strength that I needed to to get through those times and uh, to put those words back down on paper to relive that experience all over again. I remember when I come back, I had a, I smoked and I went to church one day. I hadn't been to church for years. I went to church one day and the pastor had asked everyone to stand up and sing. And uh, I tried to sing and I'd get three words out and couldn't get my breath. I went back home and I was leaning up against the wall. I started reading my Bible and I got to, to Romans and it said, Make your bodies holy, acceptable unto God. This is the least of your service. And I walked in and threw the cigarettes down and never touched me. I never had a, a craving for them. And uh, he took that away from me so I could deal with the other things. And that's where I said that, that he never gives you more than you can stand up under. Uh, you know, I went through some uh, horrible marriages. Finally, he gave me a family that I would have never dreamt of having. The woman I'm married to now is just, uh, she's just been a true blessing. And she was the first woman that I married in a church. And so that, it makes the difference. Wow, I'm, I'm taking an underline, an invisible underline and spotlighting that because I think the younger generation needs to hear that. They have taken things that usually have been held sacred and reverent, like getting married in a church and just kind of said, why do we need to do that? We can just live together indefinitely. Or, And when it's bound by that foundation, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is the most powerful thing. Before we conclude, I wanted to talk a little bit as well as you shared your faith and kind of took us through the years. The introduction to the Lakota tribe and and you said it's the same Christian God the God of Abraham and Isaac that you worship as kind of would it be fair to say an adopted son of the Lakota mm-hmm. tribe okay absolutely yes they believe in the same God and when you go back and really study their stories of creation and how they developed over the years and everything uh, you can see there's such a close relationship with Christianity, and you, uh, of course, I studied archaeology and anthropology, and you then want to ask the question: Well, did they hear about Christianity first and then introduce that into their beliefs, or was it the other way around? Their traditions were long before they had gotten introduced to Christianity. They go to church. Uh, matter of fact, many of them go to uh, the Catholic Church. It's one of the biggest influences on the reservation. Uh, the Jesuits yeah. had a big impact. They didn't all, like um, Isaac Jogues, didn't all go well. Some had their fingers cut off for different <laughs> things. Weren't always well yeah. accepted, but that evangelization, you know, from the very beginning, I know, is, it's still felt today. Yeah. My adopted Lakota mother, she was one of the children that uh, during her young years were taken away from their parents and removed from the reservation 
and their hair was cut and their clothes were changed and she was put in put into a uh, boarding school and uh, totally um, had to forget everything about her traditions and everything and so she suffered greatly uh, for many years but she come back to the re reservation even to this day even though I have blonde hair and blue eyes she adopted me in a Christian way and in a loving way and she always even have, having suffered all those things she was so filled with love and I could tell that God had influenced her and she had put all that aside and forgotten how her people had been mistreated over the years just loving people was more important than anything else in her life it's an interesting interchange as I think of the parallels and the similar hearts and I could replace her with you in a lot of ways and in a lot of Vietnam veterans of that era especially coming back not feeling appreciated obviously um, with the Native Americans there are so many years and decades of this and pain but yet what is it when you look at our country today in the state that we're in and whether it's protests in the NFL whether it's these tragic mass shootings and it just has to be such an interesting perspective from where you sit to observe what is it that's happening in our country we've been through so much and we seem to be a place where on the outside everything looks good mm -hmm. the buildings are beautiful people look good on the outside but in the inside it is I feel like that poverty of the soul where you can have a woman like your adopted mom you can have a man like yourself who's been through and endured so much and yet there's a sense of contentment and peace that we know only can come through the grace of God. Do you think that's what's missing in our country when we see all these terrible things that are happening and people losing faith? One thing that is amazing, and not many people get to go see a, a true powwow, it, it started out as a, as a sacred ceremony of the gathering of the different nations uh, of the indigenous people and where they could celebrate and, and feel spiritual and uh, they, they'll bring soldiers into the circle and you're, you're made to feel so welcome and so they have, uh, Lakota people have a different term for a warrior but not necessarily a soldier. They honor the men that, that serve the people and so that gave, gave me a place I can go and I can feel welcome and not just welcome with other Vietnam vets but we have all the different conflicts represented you know korea and and world war ii and you know iraq and afghanistan you know everybody is there in the circle together and i think it's because people the the thing that people are needing so much today is they're looking for something to belong to yes. you know their hearts are empty this nation when it started forgetting about god and and their faith we're a lost nation until we get back to where we were once before and and grasping the word and having God as a part of our lives we're never going to find peace because he pulls people together he is the focus of everything and, and the source the source yeah, of belonging absolutely where do you feel now today in your life closest to God you live in a beautiful part of the state where you have acreage and land simplicity and solitude is it in the quiet is it in the sunrise is it in adventure or is it in the moments 
in the dark of night that are tough, where do you feel his presence most profoundly? It used to be there were specific places I would go to find uh, peace, but I've, as I've went around different places with my wife, and I never was comfortable in crowds, now I can go in a crowd and feel just as peaceful and calm, and it's because God builds that calmness within you, and so no matter where you are, you know, you're at peace. And Paul said it, I've learned to be content in all situations. And that's pretty much where I'm at now in my life because of I've found what true love is. First and foremost is, is having God in your life and then having a God-sanctioned marriage. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's very important. Well, it reminds me of Amazing Grace. I was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your heart, your contribution to our country in so many ways, from your your blood, sweat, and tears to your writing as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. America. Mm, America. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15, 13. Thank you, Mr. Fred Hobbs. We salute you. We honor you and all those quiet heroes of our generation and beyond and to come who we are blessed to be surrounded by. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of today's show, especially coming off a very emotional episode one week ago. I am reminded again how blessed I am to be the recipient of your prayers, your kind words. And I, again, am rarely speechless, but here we go. So thank you so much. I open my heart and give you a big hug. And I want to definitely reach out and cover that more on the next show as we dig into that. And I just, I thank you for being a light in our time of sadness. Also, I cannot forget KHQ7691. Her name is Kate on the last show. She was our newest Podbean patron, but I didn't have her first name. Now, Kate, I can pray for you by name, and I'm so thankful for your support. If you would like to be a GTR, good friend of the show, a Podbean patron, please just click on the show notes. We would love to have you as we are growing little by little thanks to you. And that's my cue because Gus is on summer break. So until next time, friends, a big thank you to my producer, Mark Cumming, for his dynamic skills and quick work. He is a producer extraordinaire and wears many hats. If you have any production needs, check him out. He's the best. Cumminghomestudios.com. May God bless you and keep you. Until next time, friends, peace and love. <laughs>